Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. Here's this week's interview. I'm Daniel Rothberg, a reporter for the Nevada Independent. Today we have on our podcast Jim Falds, the state geologist who runs the state's geological survey as the head of the Bureau of Mines and Geology at UNR. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. We're going to try to cover a lot of topics today from how Nevada came to be, geologically speaking, a hotspot for mineral exploration, the role of your organization in some of that exploration, and uh, geothermal potential in the state. So I guess I first wanted to start by maybe giving the audience a little bit of background on what it is the Bureau of Mines and Geology does. So can you just tell us a little bit about... um, about what what research your group is involved in? Um, yeah, sure, I'd be happy to. So the Bureau of Mines and Geology serves as the Geological Survey of Nevada. And so our, our primary mission is to provide geologic information to the citizens of Nevada, industries in Nevada, to help, uh, let's say, mitigate, um, well, to help understand uh, both geologic hazards and our natural resources, and thus to help mitigate the impacts of natural disasters. Uh, For example, helping to understand, let's say, the expected frequency of earthquakes or floods, uh, and also to, of course, understand our natural resources uh, through uh, conducting mineral assessments, uh, assessments of uh, geothermal energy potential, et cetera, and ultimately to promote economic development uh, in the state as well as uh, economic uh, diversification. So you guys are housed through the university, right? We are. Mm -hmm. What's your involvement like on the sort of state policy side of things, if at all? Um, We are not a regulatory agency, so we don't directly get involved in state policy. Sometimes we, our opinions are requested though, um, by those who are um, um, developing policy. And of course, we're we're happy to provide input uh, on that from time to time. Um, More from sort of here's the data, here's the geologic information that may be pertinent to uh, developing policy the state. What, what are some of the main projects that you guys are working on right now? Oh boy, a whole cast of projects. Um, we, as um, as you know, we're a statewide public service unit. So we, although housed at UNR, uh, we apply our expertise to every corner of the state. And so we have major projects um, going on um, as many, for example, in Southern Nevada as we do in Northern Nevada. So some of the major projects, for example, we have a major uh, uh, earthquake fault study uh, in Las Vegas Valley uh, right now, um, creating a new geologic map for Las Vegas Valley, in particular uh, mapping the young faults in the valley, understanding their history and whether or not they pose earthquake uh, hazards uh, to the area. And ultimately the work that we're doing down there will be um, incorporated into uh, building codes for for Las Vegas. So that's a major project in the southern part of the state. Um, a, a similar project in the Reno-Carson City area is we just finished a major project uh, collecting new uh, what we call LIDAR data, and that's high-resolution topographic imaging of the surface of the earth that helps us understand uh, earthquake hazards, uh, flood hazards, uh, landslide hazards, etc., and uh, will help 
um, sort of facilitate the production of new uh, geologic maps uh, in far greater detail than we could um, um, uh, carry out before. So um, we're also conducting major uh, projects related to geothermal energy in the state. Uh, recently, in the past year or so, we completed a, a geothermal potential map for a big swath across Nevada, um, 400 miles by 240 miles from west central to east uh, central Nevada. Um, and then we're conducting studies on the mineral resources of the state, particularly in northeast Nevada, where we have major gold deposits. Um, so that that's a, a sort of a, a quick summary of some of the major projects. We have uh, several other major projects I, I could describe as well. So a lot of maps. A lot of maps, yeah. A fundamental um, part of our mission is really to generate geologic maps of the state so that we can better understand that geologic framework, particularly in the context of our natural resources and our geologic hazards. I've heard in the past some people say Nevada doesn't have a geological survey like Colorado or Wyoming, and I think maybe that's because it's not called a geological survey. It's called the Nevada Bureau of Mines and Geology. What's the reason for it being it not being called a geological survey, and has there been any discussion to, to change the name? Um, sure. The reason behind the name, of course, is our history. Uh, we're a big mining state now and uh, always have been. Uh, so by st when we uh, came into existence by state statute in 1929, of course, um, it, it made sense to, to have a, a name for the State Geological Survey that um, naturally linked it in terms of our mission, et cetera, to understanding mineral resources in the state. So that, th you know, that's the, hi the history of the name. And uh, in terms of changing it to something like Nevada Geological Survey, um, there is some support for that. But um, uh, there are those who, um, you know, think that because uh, of our long history in mining and uh, we're still a big mining state, we produce more gold than any other state. If we were a separate country, we'd be the, uh, we produce more gold than all but China, Russia, and Australia today. Wow. Uh, so we're still a big mining state, and the work that the Bureau does is uh, tied into that industry uh, in, in many cases, and so there is some support to keep the name, too. So um, it's probably uh, we sort of polled people a few years ago, and it was about equally split in terms of uh, whether we should change the name or not. Gotcha. And who did you poll? Did you poll... We did a, a survey, um, and not a necessarily a scientific survey. It was um, we released it on our website, and people could respond if they wanted to or not. Um, it, there were, it was a questionnaire. There were a number of other questions uh, uh, as well in terms of, uh, let's say, what scale of geologic mapping um, industry and, and other folks want to see in the state, uh, government agencies, industry, et cetera. And, and the last question on that questionnaire was, what do you think about the name, current name, should we keep it or, or modify it? As you mentioned, Nevada has a, sort of a long history in mining. Um, mining played a big role in the development of the state and the West, and I think also probably sort of like the identity and how Nevada is perceived uh, or how, how the West is perceived sort of in popular mm -hmm. culture. And all that's relatively new, I, I think, when you look at the sort of broad geology <laughs> of it. Uh, so... I'm curious, like when you're looking on the geologic time scale, can you sort of describe the processes or, or how Nevada, what set up Nevada in terms of its geology to be 
sort of a, a good spot for mineral exploration? Mm, yeah, really good question. And um, let me start with a, a few of things that I call sort of Nevada factoids, if you will. Um, so uh, as I mentioned before, um, uh, we produce more gold than any other state, fourth leading gold producer in the world. Uh, we're the only state that produces lithium. Uh, we're also big producers of copper and silver. We have more geothermal resources than in, any other state. We're the seventh largest state. We're just a tad larger than the entire country of New Zealand. Okay, so, so, um, and we're the fastest growing state, tectonically speaking. We add about one acre per year to the state because of wow. the tectonics uh, 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 affecting the state and, and the fact that now the, the crust is sort of extending or being pulled apart in the state. So, so why is that? Um, and which is a really good question that you pose. Why are we so uh, rich in mineral resources as well as geothermal resources, et cetera? And, and this goes back, the history, as you know, is long and um, hundreds of millions of years and so on. But in a nutshell, for the past few hundred million years, Nevada has been in, situated sort of on a plate boundary and been subject there for multiple episodes of uh, mountain building. And for a long time, the tectonics of the state uh, were, you were sort of crunching the crust together. We call it crustal shortening, pushing um, different plates of crust on top of each other. And if we go back 40, 50 million years, we, the Nevada probably looked a lot like the Andes do today. And we think we had very, very high um, elevations and so on, and, and something akin uh, to the Altiplano Plateau uh, in, in South America. But what happened about 30 million years ago is that the San Andreas Fault started to develop. And as that developed, Rather than sort of pushing the crust together in Nevada, you start to, started to extend it or to spread it. And so we can think of that really high mountain range then being fractured and broken up into lots of little fault blocks. And then in between those fault blocks, you dropped the crust down and formed our basins. And so we ended up with this, what we call now this basin and range province. And what's kind of cool is that previous history was associated with a lot of volcanism, and that volcanic activity tended to concentrate, tends to concentrate mm -hmm. minerals. And now you pulled all that apart, stretched it, and broke it into all of these big mountain ranges and fault blocks. We're the uh, second most mountainous state after Alaska. Okay, and so we exposed a lot of the old plumbing systems, okay, for the, those volcanoes, for that hydrothermal activity. Uh, and, and so we can sort of see, if you will, deeper into the crust, sort of these cross sections of the crust, and actually um, um, sort of go after mineral resources in a much more direct way than we can in some other regions. In other words, it's readily exposed mm -hmm. kind of at the surface because of all that action. And you add to that an arid climate, we're the most arid state in, in the country, then you have relatively good exposures, not too much vegetation covering those rocks. And so exploration, it can be a little more efficient in a place like Nevada. So all of that kind of comes together to, um, to create almost the perfect environment for, uh, we have a wealth of mineral resources. Exploration can be a bit more efficient than in some other parts of the world here. Uh, and, and thus development of those mineral resources can occur uh, sort of more directly here. 
Wow. It's a it's sort of a crazy history. It's like, it, it <laughs> is. It is. A multiple different events and so on. And it just kind of all comes together to, to uh, generate the perfect environment in Nevada for this wealth of mineral and geothermal resources. So I want to ask you some questions about geothermal in particular. Um, I know a lot of your research is focused on geothermal. And I, I think you know, like solar and wind, it's a renewable resource. But I think a lot of people, uh, many people in Nevada and most Americans probably have not heard of geothermal energy. So can you give us just a little background on what it is and, and how it can be used to sort of power homes and, and the grid? Yeah, sure, sure. So geothermal um, uh, resources, geothermal energy is really uh, uh, just sort of tapping into hot water at depth. And Nevada has perfect environment for that because if you can picture the crust being pulled apart and stretched and thinned, you're bringing warmer parts of the earth up closer to the surface. And so that, so when you drill down in Nevada, let's say a mile or so, it's, it's hot down there just about wherever you drill and plenty hot to generate um, uh, electricity. So basically you tap into areas that have that are, are have heat plus the, you the rocks are what we call permeable. In other words, fluids can flow through those rocks quite readily. So those fluids will be hot through the hot rocks. So you sort of tap into you, you into that hot water. You drill down, you um, sort of put a straw into it, you bring that hot water up to the surface, and then you essentially uh, uh, turn turbines uh, with that steam because that hot w- the water is uh, generally um, uh, over boiling. For example, we have temperatures of uh, um, uh, 350 Fahrenheit or 200 C, um, not too far below the surface uh, in Nevada. Uh, so, um, so that's basic geothermal energy. You do have to replenish that resource, and so you do have to inject the cooled water, and there's a fine balance in doing that if you inject too close to where uh, you have your wells that are bringing the water up from um, um, significant depths. Then you can cool your resource down. If you re-inject too far away, um, you you can't replenish the system. So there's a fine balance uh, in doing that, um, and that can be a little tricky in some uh, geothermal systems. But the bottom line is all all studies show that we have more geothermal resources than than any other state. Right now, we're, we're the second leading producer in geothermal energy. Uh, California is number one. So it seems like there's a good opportunity for geothermal right now you know you have a lot of uh electric utilities who are looking to procure renewables to meet sort of this demand for new renewables and at the same time as they're putting on more and more solar there there's a need for energy that can that can run 24 7 when Mm -hmm. solar is not operating at night Mm -hmm. and geothermal can do both those things it's a renewable and it runs around the clock so why then is geothermal not more widespread yeah, good question. So geothermal is not more widespread. Uh, well, we do produce a fair amount of geothermal energy on the order of 500 megawatts a year. And one megawatt powers about 1,000 homes 
um, good for uh, on average about 3,000 people. So we are, a, you know, a big producer, but we could do so much more and the potential is far greater there. So one of the reasons we don't is it's tricky finding at depth below the surface. It's tricky finding that combination where you've got the heat plus the, the, the good flow of hot water through the rocks. And there's certain conditions that are particularly favorable for that certain patterns of faulting, uh, and so on. And, but not every location that has that certain pattern of faulting sort of hosts a geothermal system at depth. So some of our research then has been, um, um, uh, focused on finding the combination, if you will, the signature, um, where we have the fault patterns and other types of ge uh, geologic signatures. It can be the chemistry of the waters. It can be certain geophysical aspects uh, um, uh, associated with a certain location and sort of combining a number of different um, um, parameters, if you will, to understand whether we have a good resource at depth or not. And so uh, the geothermal industry historically hasn't been as rich as uh, let's say the oil and gas industry or the minerals industry. And so that sort of focused research has not been conducted as much for geothermal as some of these other industries. And in the past decade or so, there's been significant advances on that. But it does come down to economics. And uh, in some cases uh, with the cheap natural gas today, um, it's, it's not um, as economical to develop some of our geothermal resources. But that will, of course, change with time, and, and Nevada will be a, a great place to provide a wealth of uh, geothermal energy. What are some of the challenges in actually finding geothermal? Like, could I go out into the Great Basin somewhere and say, like, aha, like, that that <laughs> land underneath me has great geothermal potential. I'm going to drill here. <laughs> or, we're we're working on that. So, and we've had some success with that. But but again, you have to bring a number of a number of data sets together to understand, just like they do in the oil and gas industry, for example, to understand where to drill, where you find that resource at depth. Um, and a critical point uh, to be made is that. We know that most of our geothermal resources are what we call blind or hidden beneath the surface. So you don't have the hot springs, you don't have the steam vents at the surface, uh, which can, of course, be ready in, uh, uh, good indicators that, that you have a subsurface resource. Uh, and so knowing that most of our systems are blind or hidden, we've got to do, if you will, that geologic uh, homework to understand where the good sites might be hidden at depth. And we're making good progress at, on that. And in fact, we're successful uh, with drilling of a new site in June um, based on sort of a new methodology where we're combining a, a number of different features to understand that at depth. And where's that? Um, that's in a place called Gabs Valley in, okay. in West Central Nevada. Um, the other tricky part about geothermal too is even if you've got those hot springs or steam vents at the surface, Sometimes they're not located right on top of where that sort of upwelling of hot water is at depth. Uh, they may be some distance from that upwelling because uh, the, the hot water depth might hit a nice layer, nice porous permeable layer, and, you, and, and then you get the actual sort of, um, the hot water may emanate some distance, mm -hmm. I guess, from, 
from that upwelling at depth. So that can be tricky too, and so you, you may may not want to drill um, in the vicinity of a hot spring. Um, you'll right. have to maybe do your homework and understand that the real resource might be uh, a few miles or several miles away. So I want to ask you about another blind resource that's that's been getting a little bit of attention in Nevada in the last year, which is oil and gas. And Nevada is not traditionally as big of an oil and gas state as some other states. Um, you know, I think people would be surprised to know that California produces more oil and gas than Nevada. Anyway, last year, a company nominated parcels in and around the Ruby Mountains for potential oil and gas development. Now, the Bureau of Land Management and the Forest Service are, are sort of looking at that nomination and doing an impact statement. But I'm curious, do, do, you know, a lot of groups have come out against it. It's been sort of, it's been controversial because I think, you know, a lot of people value the Ruby Mountains for uh, the other resources that it has. Do you, do you think, or has has the uh, geological survey looked into it all, whether there is oil and gas potential on those parcels? Um, not not in detail, um, uh, no. Um, we have done some sort of more broad oil and gas assessments, if you will, and those assessments would indicate that those parcels have very, very slim chance. The parcels in the middle of the Ruby Mountains would, would have a very uh, low um, probability of having any oil and gas resources. Now, the adjacent basin nearby uh, that has been explored um, recently uh, does have um, has some significant oil and gas resources. One way to picture this uh, from sort of a, the, the science is you to, to develop good oil and gas resources, you need to sort of have your organic rich rocks. They need to be at a depth where you can, they can be above a certain temperature for a fairly long period of time, and then those that organic matter can be converted into things like oil and gas. And what happens in our mountain ranges, like the Rubies, you've uplifted maybe some um, rocks that may have once been conducive to producing hydrocarbons, but they're no, they've been eroded away, or that you're no longer in a position where those rocks can be sort of heated up to the to adequate temperatures depending on their location, if you will, kind of in the crust. So somewhere the middle of the Ruby Mountains is just a very unlikely place to, to have significant oil and gas potential. I want to ask about lithium potential in Nevada, too, because there's been a lot of interest in the last few years. As you mentioned, Nevada is the only, has the only active lithium operation in the United States at Silver Peak near Tonopah. You know, that that lithium operation uses sort of a conventional method, I think, of drying out a brine pool to, to remove lithium. But there have been other discussions about taking lithium from clay and mm-hmm. using some other methods. How much have, have those been researched? A, a fair amount more research is needed, uh, yes. But so in, in a place called Clayton Valley near Tonopah, it's the only active sort of lithium mine, if you will, in, in the country. And they did basically take lithium-rich, briny waters from depth, bring them to the surface, uh, let them evaporate in, in multiple stages and sort of decant off uh, the lithium, um, essentially making lithium carbonate uh, from those rocks, uh, or excuse me, from those brines. Now, we know that some of the clays in the state also contain significant amounts of lithium, but it's not as easy to remove that lithium 
uh, as it is from the brines. And there's metallurgical research going on now by various groups um, um, that we aren't, um, as an organization, are not directly involved in. Um, but to basically how can you efficiently uh, and economically remove the lithium from those clays? Um, and there's groups actually all over the world uh, working on that now uh, in the U.S., Germany, etc. And um, it's, it's very important because lithium is coming more and more in demand for battery storage, uh, etc., energy storage and batteries. How much lithium potential is there in Nevada? There's very significant potential. Um, uh, Clayton, the resource in Clayton Valley, there's several other valleys and basins in Nevada that are similar geologically and are now being explored by industry. Uh, and so there is significant potential uh, in the state for um, much more significant uh, development. So I've written a little bit about the Colorado River Basin and the lower Colorado River Basin. And one of the areas in the basin southern Southern California, and I've written a little bit about the Salton Sea. There's a lot of geothermal there. Mm-hmm. There's also been a proposal to take some of the geothermal brine and get lithium from mm-hmm. it. Uh, what is the, you know, we've talked about geothermal, we've talked about lithium. So I'm curious, is there a connection between the two? And is it possible to operate both a lithium project and a geothermal project in tandem or in connection with each other in Nevada? Possible, probably not directly on top of one another, but but nearby, yes. Um, and the, the link is, is that um, some research sort of shows that the, the geothermal brines coming up from depth are what are sort of feeding some of these uh, brines in these basins and actually supplying a fair amount of the lithium. Um, and, and so, for example, in Clayton Valley near Tonopah, there are some geothermal resources in that basin. And, of course, we know we've got the lithium-rich brines. So the question is whether that lithium is largely being supplied supplied by the current geothermal activity or not. Um, a, a little bit of a counter argument, but still somewhat related, is that the lithium is actually coming from older rocks and being leached out of them. So, and that is, though, the, the active geothermal, the geothermal activity in the area may be um, sort of promoting or facilitating that leaching of the lithium out of some older rocks, older volcanic rocks, actually. So there, there is this connection between geothermal activity and lithium resources um, in Nevada and other parts of the world. Whether or not it makes sense to actually sort of remove, uh, let's say, use your geothermal fluids and actually whether they have enough lithium in them is, is a good question uh, that um, probably needs some research. My guess is uh, it would you have far greater lithium in those uh, brines in your basin than you do in the original geothermal fluids. That lithium tends to be concentrated through time in those basins. So talking to you, it seems like we know a lot about the geology of the state. Can you sort of put it in context, how much do we actually know? How much more is there to research? There's, there's much, much more to research. Uh, Nevada is um, a complicated state, geologically speaking. And so to do the appropriate 
work, what we call geologic framework studies in Nevada, takes some time. And to produce geologic maps takes some time because we're a state sort of riddled with faults. The the stratigraphy, the strata in the state uh, are fairly complex, lots of different mountain building events in the past, depositing different kinds of rocks and so on. So um, to give you an idea, if we looked at the entire state of Nevada, how much of the state is actually well mapped uh, to the point where industries can utilize those maps uh, for, for efficient exploration, whether it be geothermal, oil and gas, minerals industry, et cetera. And only about 20% of the state is probably, maybe a tad more than that, 20 to 22% of the state is mapped in detail enough to, um, to facilitate exploration for natural resources or uh, for understanding um, uh, of our geologic hazards. Uh, so, so there's much, much more work that needs to be done. There's literally probably a couple thousand, for example, from the geologic hazard side, a couple thousand faults in the state that we know are relatively active and pose uh, potential earthquake hazards. And only a fraction of those faults have been studied uh, in detail. So on both sides, in terms of understanding geologic hazards and natural resources, far more work needs to be done. 20%. That's sort of an amazing number. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Is it, you know, it's 2018, we have all this technology. (laughs) I think some people probably think like, well, why can't we just point a satellite at the state and then have all the information (laughs) we need? Why, Why does it... Why is only that sort of small percentage mapped? At this and, point? I, and I and that's mapped at a scale, um, and the the the, the sort of the, the scale that um, let's say most of the stakeholders in the state, whether it be government agencies or industries, um, utilize is a scale of roughly an inch to two thousand feet, or about one to twenty four thousand. And so when I talk about uh, 20% of the state, it's 20% of the state is mapped at that scale. The entire mm-hmm. state is mapped at a much broader scale. Right. Um, but at that scale is, is the, is the best again for a, a variety of, uh, important, uh, uses. Um, and again, it's, it, why isn't it completely done? It, it has to do with the complexity of the state and time involved in doing that. Uh, you, you can't just point to satellite and create a geologic map. You can point to satellite and understand um, some aspects of that surface geology, but it's not going to make a geologic map for for you. Um, but we do have new technology that is making the mapping much more efficient. And, and one that I think I mentioned earlier is LIDAR, that sort of uh, high topographic resolution of, of the Earth's surface. And you actually see through vegetation with LIDAR. And so you can map um, uh, the recent faults um, uh, much more efficiently. Efficiently, You can map glacial deposits, landslide deposits, um, flood uh, plains and flood hazard features. Um, uh, much more efficiently. And, and so uh, we're, we've started a program to acquire that, that type of data for a good part of the state and recently completed um, um, several uh, hundred square miles in the Reno-Carson City area. To, to get that precise of a scale, do, do you actually have to send out people into the field? Or for the for geologic the, mapping? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's a field intensive endeavor. 
and yes, yeah, so you're, we're talking um, to complete uh, an important area. It might be, a, let's say, a mineral district. It might be a geothermal area. We might be talking about hundreds of days of field work. Sorry, I have to go back because you said glacial deposits. And people <laughs> people don't think about uh, glacial deposits in Nevada that much, I yeah. think. So can you? Yeah. So in our higher mountain ranges, such as um, the Carson Range, Mount Rose area, Sierra Nevada. I know. I think in yeah. like Wheeler or Great Basin. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And some of the uh, yeah the higher mountain ranges across the state are, are some glacial deposits. Uh, geologically speaking, they're not that old, um, and but they're they're important. Uh, and and you know we didn't have huge glaciers like some uh, parts of the earth did, but we had alpine glaciers uh, and capping some of our uh, major mountain ranges across the state and we just completed some new mapping in the Mount Rose area for example um, uh, in the Carson Range uh, above Reno and uh, we're able to pick out some glacial deposits that were not easily seen or observed until we had that LIDAR data. So Nevada wasn't always completely dry not completely dry I shouldn't say that <laughs> right. but as dry as it is. That's right yeah in glacial times we were of course cooler and wetter. Given your affiliation with UNR, what sort of educational activities is the Bureau involved in? Uh, very good question. We're, we're very um, nicely integrated with the teaching mission, if you will, at uh, UNR. Our, our uh, geologists, our faculty, uh, teach a number of courses in the um, uh, geology program at UNR. And, and so we teach a number of courses. We advise graduate students, and we also are very active in teacher workshops. Uh, in the state uh, for, um, uh, for the geosciences. Um, so um, we, we um, uh, consider the teaching part of our mission um, as, as being very important, um, uh, helping to train the next generation, if you will, of geoscientists um, uh, for the state, whether they end up in the minerals industry, geothermal industry, geotechnical industry, uh, or maybe in government agencies, etc. So it's a very important part of our mission. If you could sort of just wave a magic wand and get a grant to to study to study your research anything in Nevada right now, what what would that be? Uh, boy, uh, it'd be nice to to wave a wand and have enough funds to cover the entire state with that high resolution um, uh, lidar, the, mm -hmm. um, and and that thus that would make the geologic mapping much more efficient. Um, maybe waving another wand would be the uh, to have a large grant to uh, to conduct geologic mapping in, in in parts of the state that are critical. Let's say in terms of mineral resources, uh, ge energy resources like geothermal and uh, and hazards, uh, geologic hazards, uh, um, uh, flood hazards, uh, earthquake hazards. How, how how many? I mean, what what are the earthquake and flood hazards? In Nevada, how serious are they? Because I think you don't hear about sort of, well, you definitely don't hear about earthquakes in Nevada like you do in maybe California. But yeah. but how serious is the threat? So we're the third most seismically active state uh, in the country after Alaska and California. Uh, so we have a, a very notable hazard in the state. We've had, historically speaking, uh, many large earthquakes in the state. Oddly enough, we have not had really any major earthquakes uh, since the 1950s. Mm -hmm. uh, but the first, uh, prior to that, the 100 years uh, preceding that, we had had several uh, across, let's say, the western Nevada into central Nevada. Uh, and and so um, we're, we are a very earthquake 
prone state. And uh, so we conduct quite a bit of research on that. The research we do is aimed more at understanding where these earthquake prone faults are and how frequently they do rupture uh, and therefore trying to make estimates on, on, you know, the likelihood, a very hard to predict an earthquake, but you can get into probabilities of, of how large of an earthquake might be produced on a given fault and roughly what that frequency is. Um, and so that's very important. Uh, in addition, within the Bureau, we have what's called the Nevada Geodetic Laboratory, and that's uh, over 400 stations in the area. Uh, that communicate with satellites and actually track the motions of the crust through time and very, very precisely. And that helps us estimate what that overall earthquake hazard is and where that hazard is focused. And then a a sister department, if you will, um, the Nevada Seismological Laboratory at UNR um, does a very good job. Uh, They have instrumentation, uh, several hundred uh, seismometers spread across the region. And and thus, if we have an earthquake, they're on it in terms of that magnitude, how much shaking might be expected from a a particular earthquake and and so on. So that combination uh, of, of research endeavors that the Bureau does in the Seismo Lab um, is, is uh, very complementary and, 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 and it helps uh, the state understand w- what that hazard is and, uh, and the frequency of major earthquakes and what we might expect in the state. Uh, and then in terms of flood hazards, um, we uh, uh, try to map out the, the floodplains, if you will, um, along rivers and so on, and um, and and that can sometimes uh, be difficult to do due to vegetation and uh, very fine um, scale differences between what's in a major floodplain and what might be just above, um, let's say the uh, so-called hundred-year floodplain, mm-hmm. um, and that's uh, where some of the new technology comes into play, like the lidar to help us distinct make those distinctions if you will interesting yeah yeah i just wrote about the the issue of flooding and closed basins like lemon valley and yeah some of those yeah and what this region is prone to obviously we're an arid state but we have quite a bit of relief Mm -hmm. uh, thanks to all the mountains and so in the summer summer thunderstorms we're prone to flash floods and debris flows uh, and uh, in the winter months, of course, um, every once in a while we get these atmospheric rivers uh, that can train over the state uh, for an extended period of time, dumping copious amounts of rain, even though it's a desert. And, mm-hmm. of course, we had um, uh, such an event a couple of years ago and, and luckily uh, sort of dodged a bullet with, in terms of not having major flooding from that event, even though we had re- some record rainfalls. Mm-hmm. One thing that struck me earlier is you mentioned that Nevada is sort of in this continuous mountain building process, and it's sort of maybe even a little bit more dynamic than the geology in Nevada is maybe a little bit more dynamic than it is in other places where it's sort of, there's continuously this, this action. And I don't know, I don't, (laughs) you know, if you're just standing and looking at a mountain, you can't really, can't really see any sort of, uh, any sort of immediate change, but it's cool to think about that. There's, there's this mountain building process going on. At the same time, I think a lot of people look at the Great Basin and they don't see that much or they sort of see like you know the federal government has in the past looked at nevada as a wasteland a place to store its nuclear waste or to test atomic bombs 
So I just wanted to ask as sort of a final question. When you go out into the field, into the into the basin and range, what, what do you sort of see? Oh, boy. Um, I see a, a, a dynamic landscape uh, that is e- almost evolving before our eyes. And, of course, you know, the geologist's eyes gets a little bit into it gets into time scales um, um, far greater than than the the human uh, time scale or the time scale of our lives but but uh, it really is a rapidly evolving landscape and for example um, the fallon area is moving about a centimeter per year or a couple inches a year uh, relative to the Sierra Nevada. And, and so we actually have 20% of the plate motion distributed across western Nevada. Um, San Andreas Fault handles about 80% of it, or about 4 centimeters per year. Um, and, and we know that we've got about a centimeter per year distri- distributed across uh, uh, this region. Um, and, and we can measure that. Uh, with the amazing thing today is we can measure that very precisely with these um, uh, geodetic stations and so on I mentioned a while ago. And, and then you can see it, too, if your, your eye is, is just trained a little bit, you can pick up fault scarps in the landscape and, and sort of discern whether those scarps are relatively young or not. And we have uh, a number of very young-looking, uh, uh, or not young-looking, they are young, um, geologically speaking, fault scarps in the state, um, such as in Carson Valley or out in the middle of the state, Dixie Valley, mm-hmm. and a number of other locations. From, um, from the standpoint of uh, a geologist, uh, I'd say Nevada is it's kind of like a kid in a candy store. Uh, there's so much to see, and the geologic processes are kind of going on before your eyes. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you very much. Greatly enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us on Indie Matters, the podcast, the Nevada Independent. I'm John Ralston. We'll talk to you next week.